Wings for the game. Boom. Cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom. Cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Late night Midnight on the interstate I didn't feel so great Until I saw the city Well, welcome back to Straight from the Source with Michael Russo. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. Really, really happy to be joined by one of my favorite people in the world. Uh, uh, longtime hockey writer, future Hall of Famer. Um, I mean, absolutely one of the best wordsmiths in the business. Um, and is here actually working for Wild.com throughout the playoffs. Scott Burnside, how are you? Well, that's the nicest thing anyone has said to me, not just today, Mike, but in a long time. So uh, I'm doing well, and thank you for those kind words. It's fun. It's always fun to hook up with you, obviously, and uh, but to be on a playoff series now for the first time in a couple of years. I parachuted in and out of a couple series last year, uh, but to be on a series, um, there's just nothing like it, right? Yeah. The, you know, the, the rhythm of the games and the off days and then, you know, head back to Minnesota for games three and four um, after game two on Wednesday night. It's just, there's nothing like that rhythm and it's just, it's fun to be part of it. And uh, anybody that's a longtime hockey fan knows that Scott Burnside and uh, Pierre Lebron have always been uh, joined at the hip. They had an incredible podcast here at The Athletic that I, uh, that I sorely miss. And, um, you know, to me, still one of the best stories that you ever wrote when you worked for The Athletic, Scott, is when you embedded with the Minnesota Wild during uh, free agency time and uh, got to see the ins and outs of everything that Bill Guerin was doing. Obviously, you have a really good relationship with Billy like he has with a lot of writers. And I know that you have an immense amount of respect for the way this team operates. Yeah, there's no question. And you're right. That was, I think, of 
you know, you get, uh, you know, a chance over the course of doing this for a long time, you know, some opportunities to, you know, to push back the curtain and to do stories like that. And, you know, it takes some trust on, uh, you know, on both sides of, mm-hmm. of the ledger. I, I, I'm fortunate. I've done a couple of, I did a couple of drafts with the hurricanes. Yep. But to do the draft in, it was in St. Paul, I guess, technically. Yeah, but right. That was draft. Leading, yeah, leading yep. up to the expansion draft and then free agency. And, you know, at that time, it was such a critical time for the franchise, you know, having just bought out Ryan Suter and Zach Parise and what was going to happen. And so there was a lot of drama there. And it was, you know, it was it was fun to watch the relationships of the, you know, the hockey ops group. You know, Ray Shiro was there. And, of course, Ray brought – Bill Guerin in as a player near the end of his career, won a cup in 09 in Pittsburgh, and then really opened the door for him to start his management career. Um, you know, there's Randy Sexton and, the, the, of course, all of the hockey ops people and the the um, analytics. All, it, it was, and everyone has a voice, and there was a lot of discussion about, you know, how we're, you know, what the decision on the expansion draft, it was uh, Susie, Susie right, yep. that went to, which was difficult because they really liked him. Yep. And then how how were they going to approach the draft and what players could they fit in free agency given what they knew was coming with the Capits and and you know it was it was you know and all against the backdrop it wasn't long after Tom Curvers had passed and Tom and I had known each other for a long time um, you know so there was a certain you know sort of melancholy part of it mm-hmm. too but it, I I'm with you it was I don't know whether the story was any good but it was one it was of my really favorite good. assignments yeah you know to spend that time and and to to watch it all unfold um, you know we talked a, a little bit about you know could, when you do a story like that part of the you know you, you can't just I mean, the idea, oh, you come in and you write whatever you want. Well, you have to have a relationship and you have to have a discussion. So I know, and I think we can say this now, you know, at one point, Craig Leopold comes in and he's looking at the whiteboard and he says, where's Jack Eichel's name? (laughs) And uh, so they were like, I don't think you can put that in there, which was, you know, which was fine. But there was a lot of discussion, right, about what was going to happen to Eichel. And I think at that point he was still maybe trying to figure out out the neck surgery. but. It was a lot of fun. It was, it yeah. was it was a ton of fun, and you know, sort of to bookend it, you know, to get a chance to travel with them and and uh, and write about a team that uh, you know, obviously after the game one victory, but uh, even going into the series, um, you know, so many interesting storylines, and and it's a really interesting team and well built, I think, and see what happens. Yeah, and they obviously they win game one for what the only the fourth or fifth time in 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 Wild history and. Uh, not a shock. It goes into double overtime. These two teams combined for 55 overtimes during the regular season. Hey, you might as well play two. Probably will happen again uh, tonight here in game two. Um, when you do those type of stories, like I, I got to hang around um, Carolina during the, the trade deadline this year, and you know, but I didn't have the access that I remember that you had during those drafts mm-hmm. and things like that, and I definitely have never had the access to uh, Bill Guerin and his crew the way that you had during that time. What is it like as a reporter to be in there and hear all this inside baseball that you know that again, from a trust factor, there's a lot of stuff you can't write yeah. you got the time you can't you know you got to be respect you can't be putting out names of players on other teams and things like that and you know do, do you hide in the corner and be a fly on the wall or are you sitting right there at the table like what is it like well and, and i think it's a little bit of both and you're right like there's a certain yeah you just there are certain well, you know not rules but when you go into it you, you just you know there you know you can't I, i'll give you another good great example and i think it's okay to say this now i did a similar story when I was uh, still at the Athletic, the Carolina Hurricanes 
and it must have been the Dallas uh, draft, I think. Yes, I was inside at the Dallas draft, but I did one during the COVID. Okay, and it was interesting because I'd done the inside thing in 2018 when Tom Dunnan had just bought the team and Rod Brindamore had just taken over. They were about to trade Jeff Skinner. Like they were making really significant changes there. And that was my first time doing it. I was a little bit nervous about it because I didn't know, the, I knew Rod pretty well having covered him. But the second time I did it, it was interesting because Tom Dundon, as an owner, he's hands-on. In that first draft, he's got all these computers, and he's, like, asking the scouting staff, why don't you have this guy? And Bob McKenzie's got this guy rated here. What? And at the time, because it was so new, you could tell the scouts were like, oh, you know, it's like Moneyball, right? Yeah. It's, it's the scouts in that scene in Moneyball. Like, what, what do you know? <laughs> but a couple of years later, the relationship's so different because everyone understands that Tom wants to have a voice, but he's not trying to tell people what to do. But he similarly came into a pro scouting meeting and, you know, talked about what is would it be worth pursuing Steven Stamkos, who mm -hmm. was at that point coming to, you know, it was after Tampa had been swept by Columbus and there were a lot of discussions about how they were going to manage the cap. And, you know, so the Stamkos' name was out there. And so that same kind of thing. Now I couldn't write that, but there's discussion in that room. And to listen to the response, mm -hmm. you know, from Rod Brindamore and the coaching staff, and this is what, you know, and I, again, I think I can say this now, it's, it's not, it wasn't a slight about Steven Stamkos, but there was really candid discussion about, well, wait a minute, is that really the area that we need to address as a team? And to me, that's, when you're doing a story like that, those are the kinds of stories, even if you're not giving specifics, you can share what it's like when there's the give and take of, yes. what do we need to do to improve our mm -hmm. team? What are the areas that we need to get better at it? You know, that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's, it, yeah, it's a treat to do to do that kind of stuff. And I think it you're able to share because I think fans are interested. Well, how does that work? Or what's the yeah. what's it like in there? Yeah. You know, it's sometimes it's boring, but it you know, it's it's fun to do those things. Yeah. Like, and I'm sure you found that in Carolina. Yeah, absolutely. And that was that was it was, from my perspective, it was it was just cool to get that for one a different team, but the inside access of of dealing with those type of players, coach, I mean, Brendan Moore, as you know, is is awesome to deal with. The Don Waddell is the best. Um, but it was my first time, like even the Gossip Air trade, like having such advanced warning and just having to sit on it. And it's like it's very uncomfortable for yeah. somebody that you you like I pride myself on breaking news and well, you're sitting there and I'm just like you know I can't tell anybody well that was the weird part about doing that wild story mm -hmm. is that that's you know I mean you're a backyard and yeah. they're talking about different guys and I knew that it was gonna be Carson Susie and you probably knew that at that point anyway but there was a lot of discussion about you know what free agents they might be you know, Alex Goligoski or you know, like who would fit and who might come and, you know, different guys whose names come up and it's part of the reporting that you do so yeah. well. Um, but yeah, you can't, you know, you just, yeah. I remember in Dallas, uh, like, uh, I was so convinced that Carolina was interested in Jason Zucker and I knew you were in the room and I just so all the time wanted it like, <laughs> Hey, are they mentioning Zucker? But I'm like, I got to respect Scott's uh, anonymity here. You know, like it was just, it was one of those funny things. Um, and then they, of course, that was, didn't they, that was, a tr they traded Lindholm to, uh, to Calgary. That's right. And I remember that it, I thought, I, I kept on saying that I kept on hearing like Lindholm for Zucker, could that be? And, it, you know, I don't know how much truth there was to it, but I remember like always wanting, I'm like, I kept on seeing you come out of that room at the, uh, <laughs> at the one hotel that we were all at. That's and, right. and I was just like, oh, God, I know the one guy that would know this. <laughs> so. Well, I, I will say the one thing about that 2018 draft in Dallas um, in which 
and again, I've spent a lot of time. I I've been doing some content for the Hurricanes for the last couple of years, um, and spent a lot of time around Rod Brindamore, and you know, it's it, it, pretty familiar with the organization. But at that draft, that was the Rod had been named head coach, and the organization had already decided at that point they were going to move on from Jeff Skinner. Mm-hmm. And again, this is not a slight against Jeff Skinner, although. It's amazing to think the kid, rookie of the year, mm-hmm. um, has never played in the playoff game. Yeah, but there were certain things that Rod, there were just they weren't they were non negotiable in how he was going to form the team, and what kinds of players he wanted, how he wanted to play, and you know to me this is the other lesson you learn in something like this is how closely tied you have to be between ownership, management, and the coaching staff. Um, and I think you see sometimes where teams don't do that, right? Where there is a disconnect or disagreement or whatever, mm-hmm. but everyone was on the same page and they just felt that Jeff Skinner needed to be somewhere else and they were going to move on and build differently and they were going to build without him. And again, this isn't about he's a great kid and all those kinds of things, but that's a, you know, and the return for Jeff Skinner was pretty modest considering he's a 40 goal guy. And I people mm-hmm. were like, what's, that's a terrible deal. Well, you know, that Hurricanes team has been to the playoffs every single year since, you know, starting that next season when they went to the East Final. And I think one of the draft picks that came back in that deal, they used to select Pyotr Kochekov, who's likely going to be the goalie of the future there. So it was just interesting, though. But again, it's not about it's just about direction and vision. And and I, I think I learned there if you're not all on the same page, it's going to be hard to make those kinds of hard decisions. So. Absolutely. Um, and again, to read all of uh, final work when he, when Scott was embedded with uh, Carolina and Minnesota, you can just go back to the athletic and uh, look in the archives and you could follow Scott on Twitter at overtime. Scott B uh, B is a boy Burnside. And uh, that's how you can also learn how to, uh, to read Scott's work. And obviously he'll be all over wild.com and NHL.com as long as the wild are in the playoffs here. Wings for the game. Boom. Cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom. Cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking a W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game-changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's talk about the Wild uh, game one. Um, you know, you go into that game and you're really interested to see how this team is playing against the Dallas Stars team that was absolutely on fire down the stretch and tried their mightiest to win the division. And obviously, uh, uh, Colorado had the big comeback win against Anaheim, which wound up winning them. That was their game in hand, which essentially wound up winning them the division. Obviously, uh, the big late win in Nashville cinched it. Um, but 
The Wild, man, first period, first real two periods, five and five, outstanding. A little uh, unnerving when they gave up the two penalty kill goals uh, there in nine seconds. Nine seconds. Um, it's pretty crazy. Um, and then Philip Gustafson uh, had to go to work. They had to defend a lot, but a couple, three huge kills, and they wound up getting the Hartman overtime winner. Yeah, I, again, I thought it was, I said this, and I don't know how you feel, but I, to me, it was one of the best hockey games, yes. a playoff game yep. I've covered. Yeah, and you know, you know, sure, I'm, I'm being paid by the Wild, so um, <laughs> you know, regardless of the outcome, though, for me, it was it just had so much. Every, like you just said, I thought the Wild were the better team through the first 40 minutes or so. Yeah, they had that blip on the power play, or sorry, on the Dallas power play on their penalty kill that looked like it might derail them. Yeah, and then you know, the whole Matt Dumba, Joe Pavelski situation is so critical for on so many levels because. A, you know, let's just, you know, we just hate to see it, right? I mean, Joe Pavelski yeah, is Joe Pavelski. no greater pro than Joe Pavelski. It's yep. just, it's unfortunate. Um, but I, I thought the call, I thought the re- result was the right result. I thought the ability to review, and I thought Pete DeBoer addressed this, and I give him all kinds of credit yes. for taking the high road on that. Um, ultimately, what the, it was adjudicated fairly on the ice. And so you go from a situation where you might be down five and, you know, given the power play, you, mm-hmm. you might be, you might, it might be over, right? Yeah. Game's over if Dump is ejected. Uh, instead, it's four on four. You ride that out. Sam Steele, beautiful breakaway goal after a block shot and a great pass from Gus Nyquist. Um, and then the game goes back and forth and the overtime is, you know, pretty heavily weighted to Dallas. But I was saying to somebody this morning, there were four or five chances on each side yeah. where you think the game's over. Yep, Johansson Joe too. Johansson, um, Matt Dumba has a glorious yep. chance. Um, Matt Boldy had a couple really good looks. And, of course, the the number of chances for Dallas. I mean, uh, Brock uh, Favor yeah, saves unreal. the game yep. on the shot by Mason. And Marshall. even in the first overtime, John Merrill on Dadanoff. Uh, Ruben Merrill, Hintz yes. hits the uh, post. Uh, it's just well how, well, how great's that? John Merrill doesn't play for a period of time, yeah. right? They go back to 5D, and John Merrill gets his stick on a puck that is destined to go in the net and yeah. end the game. And I guess that's why I think, what else could there have been in that game? It was great. It was crazy, yeah. and you know, even though it took till 1 in the morning or yeah. whatever. Um, really feel for Pavelski. Obviously, he had head issues before, and, and uh, he's one of the great pros that we've ever seen, and hope hope that he's okay here, yeah. and that we'll see him again in this series. Um, Wild is severely banged up as well. I mean, obviously, yeah. Hartman's got the issue. Kaprizov looked hurt. Johansson, Middleton had some issues. Um, we've seen, you know, obviously, Klingberg, Sunquist, and Eriksson Ek out. Are you amazed with what Eriksson Ek is, uh, even that they're even contemplating getting him back in this series? Uh, I don't think he's going to play tonight after not after not uh you know uh, skating skating yesterday but and now being up one on the series you almost kind of you know bring it back we'll see in a in a little bit here we're doing this before the skate but for him to be out there i think it you know it says everything about a hockey player it's you know it's having watched him skate uh, at the practice ring in st paul two mornings in a row and go really hard you know 45 minutes each day um yeah it's well, I mean, you I mean, you were there, and so you were around. But even f- to read from afar, he's week to week with after blocking the yeah. shot from Malkin. And you think, well, maybe sometime in late in the first round, maybe. And here he is skating, and the narrative is, how soon can he come yeah. back? But, you know, 
can't imagine the pain tolerance that we're talking That's about. That's what it's coming down to, I think, right now with him. Uh, you know, you know, it's funny because, he, you know, you watch him walk off the ice and you know, would never know it. Uh, I'm told that he's dealing with still a ton. And uh, and we saw a bunch of guys limping around after the game. I and mean, Hartman barely could walk into that uh, into that postgame presser after scoring the overtime goal. Um, you know, Brock Faber, let's talk about him. I mean, you've covered this game a long time. We've seen guys come out of college and go right to the NHL. Chris Kreider, Kale yep. McCarr, these are special, special players. Brock Faber, obviously, uh, you know, great career at University of Minnesota, has been hyped a long, long time. But when they signed him, they didn't even promise him a game. They wind up playing him, too, because they're big time banged up, and they also want to protect some of their players. But he showed so much in those two regular season games that they're like, wait a minute. We can actually put him in the playoffs, and then to see him play in game one, unbelievable. Yeah, well, and yeah, I mean, it, it turns out the way it turns out, and so the coaches are are justified in their decision. But And Dean Evanson has said this, I don't know, multiple times over the last four or five days. We hope we make the right decision, right? You just, you don't know. And But to have him in and his poise, and, you know, he was fairly protected in the ice time. I think he played less than 18 minutes. Yep. Um, but... He's out in double overtime, and a play he makes sets up, in some ways, sets up the overtime winner two minutes later right. after you kill the penalty. But, yeah, to see his poise and to hear him talk with such, you know, sort of joy about mm-hmm. being here, like how many times is it? Just crazy. Yeah. Just crazy. And that really is. You know, that's, I mean, that's a great part of this game is when a young player can come in and, gets the coach's trust and you know there are going to be bumps along the way but boy he's the what a what a nice deal and again you know you go back to how Bill Guerin has built this team you know the players who left either didn't fit for a variety of reasons and sometimes it was just cap space right could you afford mm-hmm. Kevin Viola or whatever you're gonna you know what you what's your future look like but to have a nice return who's already paying dividends yeah. is pretty cool. They got a player there, uh, absolutely. A um, couple more for you on the wild, then I want to talk to you about some of the other series, and we can uh, let you go uh, do your job. Um, you and I both after the game the other day uh, got to talk to Sam Steele, and um, you know I always am fascinated with the playoffs because at the end of every big playoff round, there's always that one unsung hero, Freddie Goudreau for Nashville. And there's always that somebody that you never thought, who was it for Edmonton the one year, uh, uh, Francisco? No. Oh, uh, what was uh, his name? Pizzani. Uh, Pizzani. Yes. Fernando Pizzani. Yeah, Fernando. Um, yeah, like, shorthanded. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah like, there's no. <laughs> always those guys, right? Mike Rupp in Jersey. Um, and Sam Steele in game one. This is a guy that was scratched a lot during the second half. He's in there because Rossi came. He proved that he should be in the lineup. And then Rossi came up, wasn't. Very impressive in those last couple of um, uh, regular season games. They obviously said sent him down for Iowa's playoff run, and then we'll see him again with the Black Aces, um, depending on how long both teams go. Um, but Sam Steele the other night gets the big sh- big breakaway goal, as you mentioned earlier. Assists on the overtime winner when he forces the turnover from Colin Miller. Um, and that is what this team, you know, is going to need. They're going to need unsung heroes. And this is a guy that was kicked to the curb as a young 20-something first-round pick with the Ducks. They just say, adios, we're not even qualifying you. Yeah. And that that just sh- that just shows you that, I mean, this is a chance for him to reinvent his career. Well, not, yeah, you, yeah, you, you wonder, what, you know, at the backstory or whatever yeah. it is, but the, the, the upshot is someone who gets an opportunity somewhere else you know, I I always feel for kids that 
you know, as a first round pick and a, there's always something different that comes with that. And that baggage, some players are completely oblivious to it or just doesn't bother them. And I think some players, you know, feel they are either owed something or they expect something of themselves that may not be realistic. And I, I don't know if any of that played into it for Sam Steele, but it has taken a long time. And he talked about that, you know, waiting a long time to play in his first NHL yep. playoff game, which was game one, and then to make a contribution, you know, at a critical time. I thought his breakaway goal coming shortly after those two power play goals from Dallas, the timing was pretty critical, right? You get back to even footing, you're not chasing the game anymore, and you can keep doing what you want to do. And then you're right. I mean, he makes a couple of good plays on both sides of the puck. He gets an assist on the game winner. Yep. And, you know, what's that do to his confidence? You know, does does that build into something that becomes, you know, part of uh, the narrative for the rest of this series? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a one and done. Maybe it's maybe that's it for Sam Steele in the series. Yep. But it'll be interesting to see if he gets the confidence to build yeah. on that. I mean, that's what I was saying. We were went, went to dinner with a couple of colleagues last night. We were saying, like, if when Erickson Eck comes back, how do you take Steele out now? Like, could we see Connor Durer, who Bill, who Dean and Billy love, actually have to come out of the lineup here because mm-hmm. they're not taking Reeves out? And I mean, obviously injuries can happen, but but uh, you know it's going to just be interesting to to see. You wrote about the goalie tandem today. Philip Gustafson just uh, masterful in Game One, fifty one saves, franchise record, especially not only overall in the playoffs, but for a guy that was making his playoff yeah. debut. And Mark Andre Fleury taking it like a pro that that his colleague is starting Game One and and probably obviously uh, going to be getting a lot more starts. Uh, tell us about your story today. Yeah, I mean. It's, to me, the the dynamic is fascinating because I think a lot of people are like, Philip, who is Philip Gustafson, yep. right? Like, I mean, he, <laughs> right? He comes in the Cam Talbot trade, and I talked to Bill Guerin about it, and I said, "Go ahead, take the credit if you want." He's like, "You know, not I, I can't, do, I can't say I expected this," yeah. and you know, gives credit to the hockey ops department. But I thought it was interesting. He said, "I t- I told them, see, see if you can find a young goalie." Who's cheap? Because <laughs> yeah. he didn't know what Mark Andre Fleury was doing at that point. He didn't know about the Cam Talbot situation. Was he staying? How long? Um, and you and because of the cap restrictions, because of the buyout and the flat cap, you know you have to be economical about filling in such an important position. So they were looking around for these sort of dark horse Jordan Bennington types, I guess. And Gustafson was on the list. And then when the senators were interested in Cam Talbot, and it was clear that it was time for him to go, um, then, you know, then that he's part of that deal. And, you know, I mean, in hindsight, would, does Ottawa wish they did not do that? Probably, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> given what happened there this season. And Gustafson has become, you know, statistically one of the top goaltenders in the NHL. And uh, a lot of it does seem to come from the new environment and and his relationship with Marc Andre Fleury and a and how to look at life, how to I, to me the favorite thing he said to me was, you know, when I talk to Marc Andre Fleury, I I I get to feel like this is more like a special hobby I get to do with my f- good friends. Yeah. It's like how cool is that, yeah. right? And if that's if that helps you mentally get ready to play every night, and he talked about it too, right? You know, the power play goals were goals he had lines of sight on especially the Robertson goal, you know, he said, I needed to reset myself. Yeah. He did. Didn't let in another goal after that. Yeah. And boy, 
I'm not sure you could ask for much more. Very mature kid, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens this offseason now because, you know, obviously they've got to figure out a way with very limited cap space to uh, choose from 11 free agents, including Gustafson, whose stock just keeps on going up. And then you have the other dynamic. They have Wallstat in the minors, who was supposed to be the goalie of the future. Like, how long can you get? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's a quandary. Like if you really believe in Gustafson, you, you, you just, you have the known quantity and he's the unknown quantity, you know, you got to make a decision here. And, that term is going to be, to me, the most fascinating part of the contract. Yeah. So I want to ask you, because I think it's interesting, because Dean Evison, who didn't, who wouldn't reveal the game one starter, although I think most of us believed it would yeah. be Gustafson. And, and Marc-Henri Fleur is so, God, he's just so great. He's just such a great human being. And he's like, you know, I, this is, I'm almost done. Yep. And I still want to play. It's way more fun to play than to sit on the bench, but it's more important for the team to win. He says, I believe that. And he said, you know, he remembered when Jocelyn Tebow was the starter in Pittsburgh and he was a rookie and he just, he basically took over the net and Jocelyn Tebow never changed, took him out, you know, kept their relationship, didn't alter. And he said, I never forgot that. And Mm -hmm. boy, how cool is that? But do you think, you think we see Flurry in this series? Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, hard to tell. Uh, yeah, how it, it is. Unfolds. I mean, we're going to have to see, obviously, uh, how how Gus continues to go. Um, you know, I got to think that he's earned a couple starts here more, but if they all of a sudden, you know, you fall down 2-1 in the series and you need to change the momentum, and that's the biggest thing that I've seen with difference with Dean this year is last year he was slow to adjust in the playoffs. It took him until the final game when it was probably too late, yeah. where Craig Berube, right at, the, right at the beginning of the series, when they were down 2-1, they said, hell with it, and they changed the goalie, they overhauled the lines, and that, I think, is going to be the learning lesson which is why I do think that if they get into a pickle in the series that we are going to see um, quick changes, um, including probably a momentum-turning change in, in goal. We'll see. Um, I expect Dallas to really push tonight. We'll, we'll uh, see how that goes. Got to ask you about the Leafs. Um, man, you know, what a awful, awful start. You can't write a worse start to a playoff with all the pressure on this team to end their uh, playoff series winning drought and win their first cup in 56 years and whatever that is, 67 to 50, yeah, 56 years. Um, To start off and get smoked by the lightning when nobody was giving them a chance. Wow. (laughs) Like, it's so Toronto. Yeah. You know, you and I have both been around a long time. I covered the Leafs for a couple of years, 100 years ago, when Pat Quinn was the head coach. And you, <laughs> you just know. And I, I read the stuff today because it, it is like re, it, you see a great big train wreck. Yeah. You want to read the story yeah, about it. And exactly. that's exactly what that was, right? I mean, Sam Sawdoff wasn't very good. And, uh, um, you know, Bunting gets ejected after a really dirty hit. Yeah. and. The coach's challenge. I mean, there's just it. The, everything that could go wrong did, and you've pre- you've been able to prepare for this opponent for months. Weeks. Yeah, right. It's no surprise, right? Yeah. You knew who you're going to play, and you've known for probably two weeks at least that you're going to play at home, and you're not. That's the best you can do. Like, yeah. uh, I don't. And now Tampa's really banged up, though. Yeah, you know, lost Hedman and Chernak. Yeah. So I think Sorelli may have been out too. Yeah. But, you know, as you know, does it become a, a war of attrition and, you know, the Leafs, I'm sure the Leafs will bounce back and get better. They're a better team. But already now the firestorm, they're in the middle of it. Yeah. And it's, you're 24 hours into the it's playoffs. Crazy. Like it's, 
to only in Toronto. Yeah, only in Toronto it, it really is. And, you know, the, the narrative today, I was reading Sean McAdoo's story, and he basically said, like, this is either good or bad. Like, good, you know, this is a team that usually, um, you know, starts great in the playoffs and then yeah. flames out. Now they're starting awful. Maybe yeah. this will be Flame the Flame out thing. early. Yeah. Get better. Yeah, we'll see. Um, how about the Seattle Kraken, you know, getting uh, first ever playoff win in and against Colorado, snapping a 10-game first-round winning streak by the Avs. <laughs> They're a team, uh, if I had to prioritize the of the 16 teams and I was going to put team number 16, it might, it's probably Florida against Boston, but I, would, I, I really thought Seattle, I just thought it was going to be way too much for them against Colorado. Colorado absolutely cooking going into the playoffs. Cal McCarr coming back and all that stuff. And Seattle's an interesting team. Didn't, you know, makes no moves at the trade deadline, which I thought was a bit curious because mm-hmm. um, they had cap space and, you know, Ron Francis just sort of plays it, you know, pretty conservative as yeah. he was in Carolina. Yep. But they were really, they were, they were a good, deep team. And Philip Grubauer was really good. And, you know, like Who how great for that? him, how great yeah. for him against his old yep. team. So we'll see. I, it, all four road teams win last night. Yeah. Six and two in the playoffs, the road teams. Yeah. I, well, we, I don't know if we were talking about it, but, you know, there's some benefit especially if you're a younger team and maybe if you're an underdog team, like I, Dean Evison uh, referenced this, it's, maybe it's better to start on the road. Yeah. Like if you, wouldn't it be great if you had a system where <clears throat> the higher seed gets to choose? Yeah. We'll play the first two games <laughs> on the road. Like the shootout. And then we're going to play six and seven at home or we're going to play five and seven at home or whatever. Yeah, you, yeah. If you had that choice, I wonder how many teams, if you still got to have game seven at home, yeah. how many teams would choose to start on the road? Yeah. So they don't have, like to me, New Jersey looked really nervous playing at home and the expectations there. And, you know, you wonder about, you know, Vegas. I really like, I picked Winnipeg to win that series. Me too. I, yeah. I really, no, people, Winnipeg's very weird, hard, crazy yeah. team, yeah. but they're really good. And Connor yeah. Hellebuck is outstanding. And uh, I just if you had that opportunity, how many would yep. choose yeah. to open on the road if you could still play games? Well, I give home? Rick Bonus a ton of credit because uh, after they had that awful loss to San Jose, he came out and lambasted in the most pointed manners his leaders on that team and saying if these people think that they are putting it all out on the line they've got to really you know look inside themselves and then they finished the season by winning five of six I I, I said this on the athletic hockey show today but I, I don't include, include the finale against Colorado because obviously they, they rested everybody yeah. um, but five of six including a massive win in Minnesota to make the playoffs um, but that team, when you look at it, their blue line is so much better than it's been in the past. Um, they're deep up front with a bunch of star power. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously they have Connor Hellebuck in that. Like that is a, you know, I could absolutely see them beating Vegas, who if you look at them, even though they won the conference, every goals for, goals against, save percentage, uh, power play, penalty kill, all average. Yeah. Well, and, you know, even though Mark Stone coming back and, you know, their, Shea Theodore came back. I, there was, and it wasn't really anything about Vegas that I didn't like. I just thought it was going to be w- yeah. much, much closer. And Nikolai Ehlers knew, didn't even play for the Jets last yeah. night. And I think he's, he's clo- he, in fact, he told reporters he was going to play. And then the doctors told yeah. him to wait. This is so from I the Hartman hit, that. right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I expect he'll be. I expect he'll be in the lineup, but they did that with, even without one of their top point producers. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um, just a couple more for you. The LA Kings beat the Oilers. The Oilers were the better, better team throughout, um, but LA ties it late, gets the uh, winner from Aya Follow. And, um, 
you know, Leon Dreisaitl said pointedly after the game, we have to be more mature, that they cannot blow a two-goal lead in third period if they want to get to where they want to get to. Connor McDavid, very um, um, pedestrian game. Yep. Um, I got to think that we're going to see the best of those two in game two. Yeah. Well, it, it reminds me so much of that series from last year, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and I thought I gave the Kings very little chance in this yep. series, just the way <clears throat> Edmonton had played down the stretch and the addition of Matthias Ekholm and, you know, Stuart Skinner seemed to really have evolved into the guy, even though he's a rookie. Mm-hmm. Um, but last year, remember that series went back and forth and Kings looked like they were going to edge their way and then the Oilers roared mm-hmm. back and... McDavid especially, but McDavid and Dreisaitl were pretty much unstoppable in the latter parts of that series. Um, it, it, it is going to be interesting, right? I mean, the expectations are so high, as they should be for that team. Yeah. It's a really good Edmonton team. It Like, it's, I don't know, when was the last time that Oiler team was this good? And yeah. I go back to the going to the final in 06, and I think this team's better than that. So, I, you know, I don't know. And so, but you got to, you know, that doesn't mean anything mm-hmm. unless you can do it on the ice. And and you know you alluded to blowing the the lead. It's lack of discipline, right? I think the tying goal and the overtime winner are both scored in the power play. So yeah, you know. I've, it's funny. I've covered you that you mentioned that series because I covered I've covered what twenty something Stanley Cup final that 06 series Edmonton and Carolina was as good as it gets. Uh, it's just an outstanding uh, series that went game that went the distance. Um, anybody beaten Boston? No, I did. Uh, I I wanted to pick Florida because I thought Florida would give them some yeah. problems, but I I luckily <laughs> picked Boston yeah. because uh, I, mean, I, do. I do think Boston. I I I don't know that Boston is a guarantee to win it all. I don't know if they're a guarantee to get to a final. That East's got some real good hockey yeah. teams in it right now. A lot of it's going to be about you know who's healthy. Mm-hmm. When you get to that second round, you know, Tampa, Toronto, you know, what's that going to look like at the end? Mm-hmm. You know, Bergeron, doubtful for game two. Now that seems more illness than injury, but, you know, what do you, where are you at health-wise? And who comes out of the Metro, you know, having covered the Canes for a long time, the loss of uh, Andrei Svechnikov and uh, Max Pacioretty, who really was never there. Um, makes it. I think it's it's going to be difficult for them offensively. And the Rangers, oh my gosh, they just look. You know, they got you know all those guys, Tarasenko, yeah. and so I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's a given for Boston. Mm-hmm. But boy, not many flaws. Yeah, if Shesterkin looks like he did the other day, the Rangers are going to be uh, right there with Boston. Um, you you mentioned Batcheretti, so that injury happened at the last shift of the game when we were in Raleigh. Um, back in January, and I have never been in a locker room that was that glum after a victory. It was it was brutal. Um, so uh, so yeah, uh, felt awful for that. You just knew right away. You know, injuries sometimes you're like guessing. That one you knew he re- recurred it. Uh, brutal. Um, final question for you. Uh, you live in Atlanta. I do. Uh, big time news the last couple days uh, about an arena going up in the uh, in Alpharetta area. Um, uh, at least that's the hope is that they're, you know, who knows where they're going to get the financing. Um, John Butchergrass came out a month, month and a half ago and basically insinuated uh, that, that Atlanta is going to get a team again. Kevin Weeks has been sort of doing the same thing. Um, you live there, your boots on the ground. You think there's, I, mean, I can't imagine that this is because this arena is fictitious, right? We don't know about it. So it's, it can't to me be like relocation insurance for Arizona. This has got to be, if there's ever 
a road to 34 teams in the NHL expansion. Do you think it's feasible that the NHL goes back to that market for a third time? I mean, the simple answer is no, I I don't believe it. And, uh, but I I hear the things that would have to fall into place. Yes, you, you know, I'm sure owners love the idea of a billion dollar expansion fee, right? If what was Vegas, 650 million. So, or sorry, Seattle, 650, Vegas, 500 million. So three quarters of a billion and then a billion probably at, to, to go to 34. It's that, I'm sure that's attractive, but that's like, does, is that what the NHL wants? Mm-hmm. Certainly the league has always put cold water on any, uh, you know, expansion beyond 32 and returning to Atlanta. And I like, I, you know, you're right. So if this thing falls apart in Tempe, you're still three to five years away from an arena in Atlanta. Doesn't make doesn't that doesn't help you? Yeah. you can't and, re- and remember, Phillips Arena or whatever it's State Farm now. State Farm. Uh, it cannot take a NHL team. They outfitted a completely renovated for basketball. So yeah, uh, you're not going there. No, not playing there. You're not going to play. You know, and why? You know, you're already in. You're in this. You know, university. You know, Rinkin, Arizona, you're going to put him in a minor league rink in Duluth or something? Right, yeah. Yeah. So is the team going to play for three years in Duluth where the Glads play? I mean, there just seem to be so many obvious roadblocks to it. I'm not saying that that community couldn't support an NHL team. It's a big city. There's a ton of corporate money. They have a really, you know, vibrant youth hockey organization, you know, group. It's not... You know, they don't have a triple, they don't have their own triple A program. It's one they share mm-hmm. with other states. So there are people who love hockey. There is no question about it, but there just seem to be so many obstacles to actually having a team there. And to me, you're right. It's, it, it doesn't make sense on relocation because the timing would be critical for the Coyotes. Yeah. You got to go into an NHL barn. So you yeah. got to go to Kansas yeah. City or Houston or something yeah. like that. So then you're thinking expansion. And the other thing is, to me, <clears throat> I can't imagine Gary Bettman presiding over a return to Atlanta for the third time. Yeah. And twice in yeah. his... After he, you know, it was like overnight, like, all right, like, here's a paper with Phoenix moving to Winnipeg. Uh, we'll just change it across. I'll put Atlanta there. When Spirit, who might be the worst ownership group in pro sports history, handed in the keys, essentially, yeah. to the Thrashers. Well, and I, you know, people, some, you're, they left, that team left yeah. without creating the smallest ripple in yeah. the community. I, like literally people are still yeah. like, do we have a team? So I'm not kidding you. So two of my closest friends, like two and a half years after the Thrashers left, I was down there staying at a Marriott and Rebecca, my buddy Evan's wife goes to me. So are you here for the Thrasher game? I'm like, uh, no, no I'm not, not here. Surprised. No, I'm not. Zero surprise yeah. at that. Yeah. And, and so I guess my point is, at some point, Gary Bettman will not be the commissioner of the mm-hmm. NHL, right? I mean, at some point, he'll he'll retire. He'll want to do something else with his you know, spend mm-hmm. time with his grandkids or whatever. That maybe that opens the door, but I see under the current regime, yeah, no chance the NHL takes uh, a, a chance on Atlanta because that's what it would be. It would be a, it would be a chance given the, you know. Yeah, different dynamics, but you, that team's failed twice. And yep, it, it makes sense. It failed twice, but it moved yeah. twice. Yeah. Well, hey, I, I really appreciate you coming on, Scott. If you want to again follow Scott on Twitter, overtime uh, Scott B. 
um, is his or, is his uh, Twitter account. You can also go to that Twitter account to learn how to read um, Scott as well. And again, he'll be on wild.com for the distance here. Uh, we, uh, really appreciate you coming on, Scott, yeah, as no, always. My pleasure. Yeah. It's a ton of fun. Yeah, ton of fun. And um, as you know, podcast throughout our network, uh, John Robleski, Robleski, I should say, a robo. Matt Boldy's old coach, the head coach of TMUSA, gold winning, gold medal winning uh, women's hockey team, joined uh, Craig Custance and Sean Dantilli on the Athletic Hockey Show on Tuesday. And Ron Francis, the GM of the Seattle Kraken, uh, joined Rob Pizzo and myself on the Athletic Roundtable, Athletic Hockey Show Roundtable uh, today. So go check out the Athletic Hockey Show as well. You can get a new subscription to the Athletic for just two bucks a month for 12 months when you visit theathletic.com slash straight from the source. And uh, Joe Smith and I will be down here in Dallas and going back and forth between the two uh, cities to cover the rest of the series. Ton of awesome coverage in the works as well. Um, and straight from the source, we'll return next week. Talk to you next week, everybody. Everybody.